1: This is Joe Polish, and I'm here with uh, my friend, Mark Goodman. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Joe. How are
1: you? I'm doing awesome. Uh, well, first off, I've been really looking forward to uh, doing this, uh, this interview. Uh, you are a very interesting guy because <laughs> you talk about things in a way that I've never heard another person on the planet talk about. So Mark Goodman has spent a career in law enforcement and technology. He was appointed as futurist in residence with the FBI, worked as a senior advisor to Interpol, and served as a street police officer. As the founder of Future Crimes Institute and the chair for policy, law, and ethics at uh, Silicon Valley Singularity University, which is where we first met, because I'm I'm a platinum partner there, he continues to investigate the intriguing and often terrifying intersection of science and security, uncovering uh, nascent threats and combating the darker side of technology. Uh, Did I say nascent threats properly? Nascent
0: sounds perfect. Okay, that's good.
1: All right. First off, there's so much that you do. Uh, Who really is Mark Goodman? I mean, how would you describe Uh, yourself to people?
0: You know, I think that's a pretty good professional description. What I would say is I'm a person who spent his lifetime focused on trying to be of service to the public, protect and serve from my street cop days. And what I've been trying to do is bring that message forward. So, um, you know, sort of a futurist, Uh, Mm -hmm. that's the singularity side. So I've got kind of the Silicon Valley technology side, but I bring to the table this street cop detective, you know, uh, world. So I think pretty grounded in reality, which Silicon Valley sometimes is, sometimes isn't. So I try to bring all that together. And just look at what I knew as a cop and as a detective and the technological trends and pull it all together in ways that people can understand.
1: Well, I've, I've seen you speak several times. Now. You've spoken at a couple of my events, some my, my Genius Network events, yes. and you work with some very high-level people. And I have uh, been through you know the Singularity executive programs. Peter Diamandis is both a dear friend of ours. Yes. And you, uh, I, I mean, when people watch you speak, you have a, a TED Talk that has been viewed a bizarre zillion times, and people need to go to TED and watch your TED Talk if they've not seen it. It's Mark Goodman, M-A-R-C Goodman. Uh, I mean, you you really have an insight, uh, and I, I consider you the top cyber security cybercrime expert, probably in the U.S. and the world. Is that fair to say?
0: Well, I, I certainly wouldn't be the one to say that, but um, there are a lot of really smart people out there. Mm-hmm. I would say, the, the, really, there's tremendous people working there. The thing that makes me perhaps a little bit different is, I started doing cybercrime investigations back in the early 1990s, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really early days, and in the book, actually, I tell the story of how I got started in cybercrime might as well tell you Um, two funny things happened so it was 1995-96 I was working as a detective uh, with the Los Angeles Police Department as an investigator actually Uh, and I was a sergeant my lieutenant screams my name across the squad room he's like Goodman get your ass over here I'm like "Uh uh-oh I'm in trouble I walk over to my lieutenant and he says hey do you know how to spell check in word perfect and I said "Uh, yeah boss uh, shift F2 he goes I knew you were the guy for this case. I got a case for you. So it was a technology case and it was a hacking case. And the thing that my lieutenant used to see whether or not I was smart enough to handle the case is if I knew how to spell check, right? So that was the level of technological expertise in law enforcement back in those early days. And then I went on from that case, and later on, years later, um, or actually later, a couple of years, I tried to push for the creation of a cybercrime unit within the LAPD, and this time I was talking to a captain, and in those days it was called computer crime, I said, hey boss, you know, we're seeing a lot of this hacking stuff, this was 97, something like that, I think we need to create a computer crime unit, and he looked at me really hard, and he goes, computer crime computer crime he's like is that uh, like if you take the monitor and hit somebody on the head with it and kill him <laughs> i'm like uh no that's not what i was thinking about when we're talking about computer crime so um i've been doing this for a while long way to answer your question and so i'd say the thing that separates me out is there are tons of people that are focused on what's going on today if you listen to the news you'll hear home depot hacked target hacked jp morgan hacked sony playstation hacked um, that's the extent of the analysis.
1: What does hacking even mean? I mean I get it because there's people talking about hacking your time management, hacking your body, yeah. hacking this. hacking. Yeah. Mean, what, what, what's your definition of hacking?
0: I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, let me just finish the last point very quickly. So the thing that's a little bit different about me is I'm less interested in where we've been and I'm much more interested in where we're going. If yeah. you want to know about the history of crime read Agatha Christie. If you want to know about the future of crime you know then that's in this Future Crimes book.
1: Well, yeah, you book here... And it's where we're going. Well, here's here's what's kind of cool. This book is not yet available at the time we're actually doing this interview, but it will be available soon. It's called Future Crimes, and that's the website also. Yeah, Future and
0: it's Crimes. available for pre-sale, so people can go out there and actually buy it now if they're interested.
1: Yeah, so seriously, go go get And By the way, I have spent a lot of time with Mark, so he has told me stories, and <laughs> I have quite an education about this subject matter that most people, which is why I wanted to do an interview Yeah, for people sure. really need to... I think this is going to blow you away. This may very well be one of the most fascinating things about security and cause you to really think about the world we live in today than you may have ever even considered. So just stay with us here because I can assure you Mark really knows this stuff. So uh, th- it says here at the top, everything is connected. Everyone is vulnerable and what we can do about it. Uh, future crimes. So futurecrimes.com is is the website where people can get pre-order the book. They can get more information about it, that sort Absolutely. of thing. So uh, going back to my question. Yeah, hacking. hacking. Yeah. So
0: th- actually it's in the subtitle everything is connected everyone is vulnerable so hacking if you go back to the 70s like it wasn't necessarily a bad thing most Mm -hmm. of the hackers out there they were just playing with computers trying to get them to do fun and interesting things that they weren't meant to do and some of the earliest hacking actually went on with the telephone system right used to be really expensive to make telephone calls then this guy Captain Crunch uh, came up with this really cool hack where if you took a whistle that came with the Captain Crunch cereal and blew it into a payphone the Whistle came out at 2600, I think megahertz, mm-hmm. which was enough to trigger the payphone to think that you had put dimes in it, so you could make free calls with it. Wow. Which back in those days was really amazing. And then people started selling blue boxes, which were these little computer boxes that you could connect to phones to make uh, free phone calls. Long distance was really expensive. You know, a couple of bucks a minute in those days. And two of those hackers were called Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. So they were at Berkeley and they sold these telephone hacking boxes and actually the proceeds from that actually was part of the founding seed money that they used to go on to launch Apple. So I had no it idea. pretty cool, right? Yeah, is hysterical. yeah, so most hacking, particularly in those early days, was not malicious, right? What is hacking? It's getting a system to do something that its designers did not intend it to do, right? So it's me breaking into your computer, getting access to information that I'm not supposed to see. It's me getting in to your mobile phone and turning on your camera uh, without you knowing about it and without your permission. It's getting into an electrical grid, right, and turning it off or screwing with it in one way or the other. So it's just getting a system to do something it was not intended or designed to do. And now the big change in hacking is it went from being kind of a fun thing that college kids did. We all have the perception in our head from that movie War Games with Matthew right. Broderick, you know, 1983. He's playing a game and he accidentally breaks into the Pentagon. It's an awesome movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I strongly oh, recommend it. I've seen it years ago. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Uh, and it's still holds up. And so uh, he ends up accidentally launching global thermonuclear war, which is, is pretty fun. But now what has happened is hacking has become completely professionalized. It's no longer just for mostly the lulls or for the fun of it. It is a business, a completely international money making business. And there are billions, literally billions of dollars that are lost every year as a result. The latest study said 400 billion, according to a McAfee study.
1: Wow. Wow. And so everyone listening to this on the podcast or watching it on the video version of this, uh, pretty much everyone's vulnerable in areas that they could not even fathom. And so the goal of this is not just to scare the crap out of people, although I would like to scare the crap out of people (laughs) if it helps them pay attention to things that you are aware of what is going to make them safer. So our, our goal here is to allow you to be safer, to exist in a place where there are new types of enemies that did not exist 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Exactly. And because of technology, which all of the amazing things that it does and that you're obviously a big proponent, as am I, about technological advances, there are consequences if you're not aware of the dark side of all of this. And you are the guy that really you know, explains the dark side and how to protect yourself.
0: I actually couldn't have said it better myself. You just really summed up the point. There's a lot of people out there that kind of talk about this issue and they're like, uh, the internet is bad. Computers are dangerous. Don't ever use Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't use a mobile phone. Don't use It's completely impractical, right? In 2014, 2015, we have to live this sort of plugged in life to partake in the workforce and to even socialize with your friends, right? So I'm not saying that that's bad, as you just mentioned. And through our work at Singularity University, you know that I'm a huge proponent of technology. And I see the opportunity for abundance that Peter Diamantis talks about all the time. So technology is going to be awesome. The problem is, is that it's also subject to abuse and the difference between the average listener to this podcast or folks that are watching this, the average member of the general public is, is that they know how to use the devices, but they don't understand how any of them work. The people that understand how they work can mess with them in ways that you could blow your mind. That's organized criminals terrorists, rogue governments. We heard about the NSA spying scandal and all the stuff that Snowden talked about. So the people that are taking time to understand how your computer works, how a banking website works, how your automobile works, how your mobile phone works, how the baby camera in your bedroom works. Once you understand it, you can take it apart in ways and get it to do things that you wouldn't want it to do so they're using their knowledge and it doesn't take much knowledge because there's actually a ton of YouTube videos out there actually explaining to people how to hack step-by-step stuff it's becoming highly automated so the goal here is to educate people and at the end we can talk about a bunch of great tips that people can take to protect themselves yeah
1: so what I like to do is kind of the the arc here of let's talk about some of the things that sure. exist that people didn't know about and then towards uh, then we'll give people recommendations on what they can do and how they can do it and so what future crimes what what do you that's the title of your book that's that's your website what does that even mean
0: right so i thought about this long and hard Uh, actually titling a book is really oh it is difficult but being a marketer yeah yeah, you know all about this um but i you know run the future crimes institute and i'm thinking about it you asked me about this before um you know you said am i one of the top experts i who knows right there's a lot of smart people in this space but the thing that i do know is i'm thinking about what's coming next so rather than focusing on where we were Mm -hmm. i'm focused on what's happening and the thing that would surprise people is of course most people know if you turn on cnn or any of the news stories you know that they're hacking banks and they're hacking your bank account and they're doing identity theft and all that stuff people know about. And they know that there's some dangers on social media and the like. But what people don't know is that we are about to explode in the number of things that we are connecting to the internet. It's called the internet of things and we've talked about that. That means everything from your blender to your car to your dishwasher, your pets, your kids, everything is going to have an internet protocol address and online. Yeah, I
1: remember even the tour to Qualcomm and just seeing everything that is connected.
0: Everything, because the price of those chips to get something online is dropping towards under a penny. Mm-hmm. So with RFID and some of these other technologies, that means that we're going to switch, not to get too technical, but to something called Internet Protocol version 6. We currently use Internet Protocol version 4. Um, We've run out of space. So if you think about New York City, Manhattan, the area code 212, eventually they ran out of 212 numbers. They needed to create the 718 area code 347917. The same thing has happened with the internet. We're out of space. So they've created more addressable space. What is amazing is how much space that they've created. So if you think about it, today's internet is um, kind of relatively small. It can only support about four and a half billion simultaneous connections. But the internet of tomorrow, the one that will arrive in the next three years can support 78 octillion connections which is 78 trillion 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 sorry 78 something
1: you couldn't even count
0: yeah to put in ways that people can understand like there's two ways i like to describe it today's internet is about the size of a golf ball tomorrow's is going to be the size of the sun like wow. literally that's the difference we wow. think we have the internet today we ain't seen nothing yet we're in the earliest earliest stages we're going to have a sun-sized internet which means everything will be online But the downs, so great things will happen as a result of that. We'll have smart cities, we'll save energy, we'll have better healthcare through, you know, internet of self and all that. But all of that will become... Hackable. And as you well know, we can't protect the things that we have today mm. at all. So Cisco has predicted that by 2020, we're going to add another 50 billion devices to the Internet. Intel, I think, said it's going to be 200 billion. Whatever the exact number is, it's going to be a huge amount. And as you know from your time with Singularity University, this won't be a linear thing, you know, that happens 30 years from now. This is going to arrive really quickly and seem as if it's arrived overnight. Wow so future crimes is all about what's coming next it's not just hacking the things of today it's hacking the internet of tomorrow which will be here tomorrow right internet of things robotics artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, synthetic biology. I have specific examples in the book like you wouldn't think of the bad guys hacking robots. They're actually doing it. There are robots that are carrying out crimes, that are robots that are carrying out terrorist attacks, um, crazy things like oh, that yeah, are happening even talked now. last
1: night, we had dinner, you we were talking about how kilos of, of drugs are being delivered via drones and Absolutely.
0: Just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, people would be surprised to know that the Cali cartel in Colombia has like a five million dollar R&D budget for robotics. So, think about it. They're trying to disintermediate all the humans, humans that you can- You said
1: five billion? No,
0: five million. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm hearing sure. things. No, no, five million. Five million dollar budget. Who knows? It may go up. Yeah. Um, but for <laughs> the of moment- course it's going to go right, up. Right, exactly. But For the moment, no, five million bucks that they are spending on autonomous robotics so that they can send autonomous submarines carrying hundreds of kilos of cocaine wow. up to the United States. The DEA picks up about 20 of these subs a year, right? And now they're using, using drones, so there are like thousands- It's literally, again, according to DEA and Homeland Security, thousands of kilos that are being flown on unmanned drones over the border from Mexico into the United States with narcotics. So, again, people think, well, they think drones, they think the military, they think the US government, you know, killing Al Qaeda. But in fact, bad guys are using these technologies too. They're using artificial intelligence in just ways that would blow your mind. Interesting, so fascinating.
1: Yeah, and so here, but the thing is, like you said, this is just the start because it's gonna get so- Exactly. I mean, we're going into this whole new realm that's never
0: existed before. Exactly, and it's just the start, Mm. but it's already begun. That's the really big point that I want people to understand is we call it future crimes but bad guys are using robots today bad guys are using artificial intelligence today and in the book i have like hundreds of cases of crazy stuff that you know criminals and terrorists are doing with technology
1: yeah well let's keep going down this path because i was like what, what i want to do like i said uh and i, I want to remind the listener is that I want to uh, make you aware of this stuff, but we will offer solutions. Cause what I hate is when some people do like documentaries and they're bitching and complaining about how horrible the world is, but then there's no solution on what do you right. doing, and kind of how do you do it. So, uh, now it's so easy to share online. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, we're so interconnected with our phones and there's a website. It leads to websites like things like pleaserobme.com right. right. and that sort of thing. So how can people go online and share things and not be you know, it, it will minimize the risk. Yeah,
0: for sure. So this is an other area where technology is being used against you. Remember I said there are people that understand technology. You know how to use it. Other people understand what goes on behind the screen mm-hmm. and how it really works. So in the book, I try to turn around the screen and give you that other perspective. So there's lots of people that are taking advantage of the information that you're sharing. And I'll talk about companies that are doing it. And then I'll talk about bad guys that are doing it. On the company front, actually, I have a chapter in the book called You're Not the customer you're the product right so I do polls when I speak all the time and I say hey raise your hand if you're a customer of Facebook and everybody in the audience raises their hand and I'm like oh uh, how much do you pay for that and they're like uh pay for that I don't pay for that it's like okay so you're not so why have the internet gods given this to you I'm like you're not paying for it because you're the product Right, Mm -hmm. you're the thing that Facebook sells to advertisers, and that's why Facebook has a multi-billion-dollar valuation, and you get free status updates. Right, Right. that's the deal that you've made, as long as you understand it. So people share online, and they're all of these social media sites are just great ways. You know, they provide excellent services, and I'm not saying that in any way uh, they may not be useful. Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they're all great, and there's lots of good reasons to use them. But you just need to understand the bargain that you're making. So that's from the corporate side. On the bad guy side, bad guys are absolutely paying attention to every tweet that you put out there, every Facebook posting. And I'll give you a few specific examples. I always run into people who will post on LinkedIn. I'm going to be at this conference, you know, in Orlando. Or I'm going to, uh, we're going on vacation to Bahamas or Provincetown, whatever it is. And they post it online. And everybody else, you know, gives it the thumbs up. Hey, that's great. So you mentioned a website called pleaserobme.com. And that was uh, based out of Amsterdam. And what they did is they just created spiders, little programs that would pull down everybody's vacation postings. Mm -hmm. And they aggregated it into one database so that criminals, burglars, could go in there and just put in a postal code and see all the people in the neighborhood uh, that were going to be on vacation. right? right? So you think, well, this is just, you know, nobody will pay attention to this. Or I've set my privacy settings, which Facebook changes all the time. And even if you think you're private, you're probably not. Um, Another important statistic, um, would it surprise you, Joe, you're very plugged into all this, would it surprise you to know that Facebook is hacked 600,000 times a year?
1: That probably would not surprise me, considering yeah. everything. Right. And, well, and you see, the thing, even with hacking, you know how Facebook had the hackathons. Yes. They have exactly. All the stuff. So that's why I even asked you about hacking because yeah. there's there's a lot of stuff it's it portrayed for sure. as a very yeah positive Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And there's this other side of it, but yeah, that's right. I would have not guessed that much. So, but it does, well, actually, it's coming
0: from you, I need to correct that. So that I told you that just to gauge it, but actually, it's not six hundred thousand a year; it's six hundred thousand accounts a day. Wow. There are 600,000 accounts a day hacked on Facebook. That's not me saying that. That statistic was posted on the blog of the chief security officer of Facebook right? So these are their own data that are coming out there. So not only, even if you've got your privacy settings, which they change all the time, kind of screw with you, so you lose out there, bad guys are breaking into it. There was a study done, which I really want folks to know about in the UK, and they uh, interviewed, I think it was a thousand convicted burglars, and they said to them, you know, when you're going out there and trying to find a home to burglarize, how do you go about it? 70% of burglars, convicted burglars in the UK today, say that they're using Facebook and other social media. So before they're choosing your house, 70% of burglars are going in there and doing it. Uh, There was a funny article written on what they're calling Zucker burglars uh, that are going out there and using this. And uh, they have, cops have arrested groups of mostly young teenage or young 20-year-old guys that are in New Hampshire and elsewhere that are using this data to go online and, and, you know, burglarize people.
1: That That is nuts. So do you, how do you, Yourself use social media then knowing this stuff, and of course you know things that the average person doesn't. So, I mean, a lot of people that you know they're going to be like, "What the hell? You know, yeah. what do I
0: do?" Well, I mean, the key thing is never to use the internet or touch a keyboard. It's very <laughs> dangerous. Don't do that <laughs> under any circumstances. Uh, no, all kidding aside, I, I think it's just about being in the know, and that's another thing I wanted to do with Future Crimes. The book is just getting people to understand the risk so that they can make educated choices.
1: Well, and, and what I will say, and we'll go a little bit deeper on yeah. this, too, because the book does tell you kind of what to do. So yeah. and, and and really, if, if this is at all uh, piques your interest and you're following this and you're seeing this is like really not sort of like a book you read, although it is you're a great writer and it's very Thank entertaining you. and all that. This is really a book if, you, if you're going to pay for insurance. This is some of the best insurance you're ever yeah. going to take in terms of knowledge uh, of knowing what to do there. So we'll we'll go, we'll go deeper. In All that right, and I
0: will answer your question either now or later about kind of the things that I do. But the the bottom line is you just make an informed decision. So you understand the risk. So if you do want to go ahead and share, say, um, you know, rather than posting your vacation. Pictures of Barbados while you're there. When you come home, post them all. Yeah. So you're already back in your house, and people can still see and you can share that way. S- simple lots of things tip, like but that. that
1: that is probably exactly smart to, you know post the past, not right. the
0: future. Exactly.
1: Okay. So uh, well
0: to avoid future crimes. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, as I was saying that, I'm thinking that I, I just I can write headlines for marketing copy in my head here. Uh, so. The question I have is: What's the consequences of everything in the world, including our bodies, uh, becoming more computerized and, and digital? Because there are now, uh, even Peter posted a. uh a, yeah. a, I think it, it was an RFID abundance. chip. Yeah. yeah, that he put into his wrist. Yep. I mean, what are the consequences of all this stuff? So I mean, can we hack Peter through his wrist now and like?
0: Well, we can track him. Okay. We can track him, yeah, and actually theoretically we could hack him, so, but, although we are not encouraging that. Yeah. Let's be clear, we don't want to commit any federal crimes. Yeah, this crimes is just for entertainment purposes po- only. Exactly. Peter, <laughs> <laughs> you're safe, and if you're not, look at Joe, because I, I have nothing to do with this. Um, No, and seriously, so we talked about the Internet of Things, right? So what that means is that we're going to have chips in our dining room tables, we're going to have them in our coffee cups, every shopping cart at the supermarket will track you as you walk around, you know, pushing your wagon. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of that technology is coming to the human body, and I have a whole chapter on the book called Hacking You, where we kind of talk about this. But you know, it breaks down into a broad number of categories. We've got wearables, we've got uh, embeddables and we've got uh, implantables and ingestibles. So I'll go through all those. You're like, what the hell is that?
1: Can can I even say something too? Because as as you're saying that, it made me think of just a couple weeks ago, I went to Legoland uh, with my friend Crystal and her five-year-old daughter. And we had a private tour guide and it was awesome. Yeah and he was telling us about how Legoland works. I mean, it was worth the private tour guide just to even for me to get the business aspects of Legoland. They knew how many people were in the park at any given time per hour, like how many, I mean, just, and and these people weren't embedded with codes, it's just the systems of how they track everything.
0: Well, guess who are, Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So one of the greatest, I mean, when Disney, puts its attention on something you should pay attention right and Disney has now gone to making all guests in their park when they get like the one day pass or the three-day pass mm-hmm. they're getting a bracelet which is a wearable and inside there is an RFID trip that tracks them throughout the entire park so Disney knows how many people are in line to the bathroom mm-hmm. they know when the lines are getting long at the Matterhorn and like so they can actually tell they get alerts so it's like okay there's more than a thousand people in line let's get two Mickeys and three goofies and characters you know over there to entertain the people in line so that they don't get upset they know exactly you can pay for your food with these magical bracelets that they have, and so they know what you're spending at what restaurants at what time. So it's this is sort of the big data world where they can track you. So for kind of how this may affect you, wearables. We all know about things like Fitbits and Nike Fuel Bands. Um, there have been some interesting things that have come out. So it turns out with Fitbit, you can uh, not only does it track how much you move, but you can also log data. It did 100 push-ups today or 500 sit-ups. And one of the things that you could do with Fitbit is you could actually log sexual activity. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're wearing your Fitbit, the accelerometer moves in a certain way and the Fitbit can tell, you know, based upon how it's moving, what's going on. Well, one of the things that happened was you could tie Fitbit to your social media account and would tweet out your friends like, hey, Joe just ran five miles. Well, in an early version, it was tweeting out sexual activity. So Joe just had 45 minutes of rigorous sex. Right. right? So okay. you're like, oh, I maybe you want that to go out. Maybe you don't want to to go out, but it's kind of an unintended consequence. It really helps
1: the infidelity industry.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, your wife is saying it's like, hmm, he wasn't with me at 1230. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here? So this this data does leak. And by the way, divorce attorneys are getting their hands on all of this data, too. So Facebook is mentioned in one-third of divorce proceedings in the United States. You see really? your old, yeah. You see your old girlfriend or boyfriend from high school. You start talking to them. Eventually, the marriage, you know, dissolves, and all of that becomes subpoenaable. So going back to Fitbit, it's not just that you know your your sexual data can leak, and I'm just using them as an example. It could happen with any of these wearable devices. But you're also seeing it from uh, an insurance perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So. If you are, you know, right now, if you uh, go through a certain driver's training class, they'll give you reduced insurance. And Progressive is saying to people, hey, if you allow us to put this black box, secret black box in your car where we can monitor how often you hit the brakes, how hard you slam on them, how much you accelerate, how many miles you drive, when you wear your seatbelt, based upon that, we will give you a reduced rate because we can tell very clearly from a data driven perspective who the good drivers are and who the bad drivers are. Exactly. And they know it. In fact, the head of Ford, I think he was their marketing officer, spoke at a a Detroit auto conference. And he's like, oh, yeah, all our cars track that data. We know who the speeders are. We could tell the cops any minute. And he had a backpedal from that because people were like, whoa. But all of this computing is in your car, so they know exactly what's going on. Hmm. So think about where we are with Progressive today. Today, it's optional. But in the future, it may not be optional. Or what they'll say is, okay, you can get our regular rate, but if you won't allow us to put in a black box, you'll have to pay three or four times as much. And the same will be true with our Fitbits type devices, like these healthcare bands or whatever, is that, okay, Joe only moved 30 steps today, you know, we're not going to give him health insurance or we're not going to give him life insurance. So there will definitely be this technology. And one of the bigger areas that we need to be concerned about, again, I mention it in the book, is the concept of implantable computers, right? Mm -hmm. Because what is a defibrillator, implantable defibrillator, a pacemaker, a diabetic pump? They're all computers. There are 60,000 pacemakers in the United States today that have an internet protocol address and connect to the internet. Right? So think about that. It's great. Your physician can monitor your heart at a distance. If you have an arrhythmia, he can shock your heart and save your life. But your heart is online which means that it it can be seen on the network by the pimply kid in his mom's basement next door to your house, right? So you could actually cause somebody an electronic shock to their heart when they don't need it and kill them. So now for the first time ever in human history, the human body itself is subject to cyber attacks. That's wild. We've never had this before.
1: I mean, are there cases of people that have been killed already with this?
0: So there are no known examples in the wild as they say of this happening, but there was a study done by the University of Massachusetts against Medtronic's pacemakers that showed it was entirely possible and at hacker conferences two years ago one of the big themes was hacking implantable medical devices and there was a guy called Barnaby Jack who created what he called his Bluetooth Canon. And from 500 feet away, he could aim it at just strangers, like in an airport or in a park. And if anybody had a diabetic pump, which might be filled with like 45 days worth of insulin, with this Bluetooth cannon, he could attack the diabetic pump and release 45 days worth of insulin in just an hour killing the person from an insulin overdose. So we've seen the proof of concept, thank God we have not seen it in the wild yet. And the implantable healthcare industry has a lot of work to do to be able to start to catch up and deal with some of these threats.
1: These are people that would be well served to
0: read your book. Absolutely.
1: Yes, that's, wow. What are some of the scariest cyber crimes, future crimes and so on that are coming or are already here that people listening to this need to be aware of?
0: Yeah, I mean, there are things that are, that I focus on that ca- sort of concern me. So I'm concerned about robotics and where we're going with that. And I'm concerned a little bit about the biological threat too. And I'll talk briefly about them. Uh, one is a little bit more further out and one is more immediate. So people are already starting to have robots in their houses, right? Uh, Your Roomba vacuum, right? It turns out, and then Rob Nail from Singularity University talks about this, something like 40% of people have a name for their Roomba, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this little vacuum cleaner going around your house, and it seems- A little little pet. A little pet, Yeah, yeah, they have a name for it. It seems innocuous, but you know, what if there's one in grandma's house, and it's docked, and she's going to the bathroom, and you just move the Roomba and trip her, and now she's broken a hip, right? So you know, people don't think about that type of thing, what I talk about in the book and I'm a little concerned about is up until now the cyber threat has been a two-dimensional threat. It's hidden behind computer screens, right? It's isolated. You don't have to worry about it. But we're gonna have robots all over the place. You maybe saw the Lowe's uh, an event a couple of weeks ago where Lowe's now has robots in its stores and its orchard supply warehouses, and you can go up to the robot and ask the robot a question. And that robot is great and super cool, but more broadly, when we have robots all around us, they can be hacked. The US Department of Defense has tons of robots on the battlefield, and we have had ground-based robot hacks. We've had uh, US drones hacked. We've had a Homeland Security drone hacked. So the challenge is is that the threat that used to be two-dimensional, hidden behind a screen, is going to be coming out into physical space. And some of these robots can hit, kick, punch, shoot, drag. And so what happens when they get hacked, right? The cyber threat will morph completely, and we have no idea what that world will look like.
1: You know, there's a story that you have told um, that I actually asked you to speak about it when you spoke at one of my uh, conferences uh, about the anime porn. Yes. And that one always scares the crap out of people, but it really shows the the nature of some of the the blackmail and the Absolutely. things that, that, that is happening. And I know, uh, you know, it, this is always something that when I've heard you tell this story and use this example, people are like you know i could never even imagine so tell that
0: yes the the famous yamamoto Yamamoto virus um so people don't understand that organized crime is absolutely a business right we've all seen the sopranos we know what tony soprano looks like and their business model was you know going around to pizza parlors and breaking kneecaps for people who didn't buy them off that was you know sort of organized crime 1.0 organized crime 2.0 is all about automation right Mm -hmm. so they're automating their crime just like you would tell people as part of the Genius Network with their marketing. Go out there, script it, have your marketing campaign ready to go. Criminals are doing the same exact thing. And so they're using algorithms, they're using artificial intelligence to go ahead and write computer code that will steal around the clock that will hack around the clock if your computer is broken into for the vast majority of the public 60 to 70 percent of those are not because a hacker is targeting you it's because they wrote a computer program that can scour the entire internet and basically go up and try to open every door and they've just shaken the lock to see if they can get in, and they can. And so crime has become scripted and has become automated. And that has some really big impact. The first thing is now crime can scale. If you think about crime in the old days, what was it? You get a gun or a knife, you hide it in a dark alley, and you say, stick them up. But as a robber, you can only rob maybe five or six people a day that way. But technology makes it possible to rob more people. Think, yeah. of, think about the introduction of the locomotive, right? Locomotive was a really cool technology. Now robbers could, instead of robbing one person, they could rob 200 people on the train. Right. Like it's just an unintended consequence. Well, we move forward today to the internet. And when you look at something like the Target hack or the Sony PlayStation hack, over 100 million accounts were compromised. So that's an exponential can, can order we, of magnitude. Can,
1: can we talk? Because you told me last night how they actually got into yes. Target, and, yes. and we'll come back to yeah, them, we'll but, come back we, to yeah, the Yamamoto to virus. explain yeah. this because I mean, many people may know, but I had no idea until you.
0: So now you can rob 100 million people. That's a massive change. Crime is exponential. It's an order of magnitude. So crime is not really being committed by individuals going out there and robbing person by person. It's a computer script and it's automated. And what that means is now for the first time, crime can scale and scale exponentially, run 24-7 and earn money for the bad guys. And because everything is connected and everyone is vulnerable, there are so many different ways to go in and get folks. So you were just asking about the Target hack. So many people know last Christmas 2013, right before the biggest you know sales season for Target, their uh, point of sale, their computer cash registers and the places where you swipe your credit cards, those little POS point of sale terminals, all got hacked. The Secret Service came in, they did the investigation. How did the point of sale terminals get hacked? You wonder?
1: Well, I know. Yeah, you know, because we talked about it. I can can act smart, but uh, you already told me. All right,
0: say it, give give them the answer. Uh, The AC unit. It was the air conditioning system, right? It turns out that Target used a third party vendor to manage the air conditioning systems at all of their stores, and it was all online. So from a central location, they could control what the temperature was at the Target store in Minneapolis or Miami or Los Angeles. And this contractor was hacked. An employee there innocently clicked on an email, That infected his computer. From that, they were able to get into the air conditioning system, tunnel through the air conditioning system into the broader target network, and eventually climb through that network bit by bit until they got to the point of sale terminal. So things are connected. You would never think, oh, my air conditioner might be connected to my cash register. But they are. They're on the same networks often, and that's how they got in. And that's why, you know, put it on there, and they could grab all of those transactions.
1: Well, and this conversation came from me, you know, because I'm remodeling a, A, a home. And I was la- asking you about all these different smart right. devices that are all interconnected from light bulbs to garage doors to locks to window blinds to music to lighting to everything that, you know, there's smart light bulbs. And you were literally giving me the statistics of how easy it is to, you know, ha- light bulbs can be hacked, you yeah. know, that garage doors can be hacked, you know, everything. And, and, and it re- made me really rethink the level of you know smart home technology right. i don't know if smart home is the right terminology, right. it could be like vulnerable home right, right. technology and that's what led to to hearing about this but most people could not even fathom that all of these things are connected and as you're talking about when it goes from the size of a golf ball to the size of the sun you're talking everything now has some sort of trail right. and can lead to something else so it's 100% okay so uh, that's so let's go back to the
0: to the the porn The Yamamoto (laughs) virus. So this is another uh, great example of organized crime scripting something in a really powerful way. So we tend to think of hacking. They steal money out of your bank account. That's fairly simple. But you can also use computer algorithms and scripting to do much more sophisticated crimes. Mm -hmm. And one happened in Japan. So it turns out in Japan, there's something called hentei pornography. It's actually like cartoon pornography. usually depicts young girls in very sexually explicit uh, things. It seems to be very popular in Japan and uh, would be illegal in lots of countries around the world Um, an organized crime group created a software program where people could download sign up pay for the program and get access to all this child pornography uh, you know cartoon hentai child pornography that they wanted so thousands of people downloaded it and what they didn't know until something happened is that they had a little bit of a problem here's what happened 30 days after they download it and used it, they received an email that said, for example, Dear Mr. Yamamoto, thank you so much for downloading our hentai pornography software. Um, we can see that you're really enjoying it based upon the photographs that you can see in the email below. Um, as a loyal customer, we're going to take these photographs and send them to everybody in your address book so that they know what a great program this is or you can pay you know a hundred dollars and we won't do that so what happened behind the scenes Because organized crime created the software there was a back door in it that when you downloaded the child pornography software It took over people's computers put in a hidden back door and had a keystroke logger But the other thing that it did was is it hacked the person's camera Mm -hmm. So as Mr. Yamamoto is sitting there typing watching maybe you know one hand on the keyboard two hands on the keyboard The computer his webcam was surreptitiously taking photos of him So these criminals were able to get like you know 50 photos of Mr. Yamamoto, naked, half naked, whatever it was, included him in the email and then downloaded his entire address book. So now Mr. Yamamoto was faced with blackmail. Right. Either people are going to know that I look at this hentai pornography, they can see pictures of me doing you know, some funky stuff, and they're threatening to tell everybody, or I pay $100. So now even something like blackmail can be completely scripted.
1: Yeah, which which is crazy. And, and you, you even have this great marketing device, which is a postcard of future crimes, and it has a little um, a little sticker, which I put on my computer. Yeah, camera you, patches. Because I've always used to see, used to put band-aids and stuff yeah, over yeah. the little camera, because people can hack into your computer, and they can take control of the microphone, they can take control Absolutely. of the camera, and so part of it is
0: just a, a good measure. And just so people know, your camera can be hacked on in on and the little green light, won't show up, right? So that's part of the hack, right? They can turn off that green or red light that you would see there, so it can be on and you have no idea. Which is why I encourage people to cover them up. This this is
1: really, I'm sure, making people really damn paranoid right now, <laughs> freaking them out. So there we go. Um, so what what is your perspective? Because you've done a tremendous amount of work with with you know big, huge organizations on on terrorism. So what's uh, what's your perspective on the future of terrorism and um, you know the, this? Increasingly digital world.
0: Yeah, well, terrorists are incredibly fluent in technology, right? We make the mistake all the time. We think, oh, it's a bunch of people living in caves like Osama bin Laden. And they're not sophisticated, and the like, and nothing could be further from the truth. So, going back to even the first World Trade Center bombing, uh, the guy who carried that out back in 1993 used full computer encryption. Mm. Uh, was very sophisticated. It took the government a year to break his coded messages. So they've been doing this for a long time. If mr snowden went ahead and put out all of his revelations in the jihadi chat rooms you could see people going point by point with snowden revelations and jihadis created like al-qaeda training youtube videos on how to encrypt your drive how to hide your information and to protect it so they're paying close attention there if you look at al-shabab right and if you look at what went on uh, both in nairobi or the girls that were kidnapped in nigeria they're live tweeting their terrorist attack. So they are like putting out blow by blow of what's going on during a terror attack and kind of messing with the police that way. But I think perhaps the the best example of uh, the technological terrorist is what happened in the 2008 Mumbai terrorist attack. If you remember that incident, you had 10 terrorists from an organization called Lakshar Etoiba based in Pakistan. They came into the city of Mumbai and they blew up the Taj Mahal Hotel, the Oberwa Hotel. They went after a synagogue and a bunch of other places What was interesting about those guys is, of course, they had AK 47s and bombs and hand grenades, the standard terrorist stuff. But what was amazing is the technology that they had with them. They had satellite telephones, they had night vision goggles, they had encrypted Blackberries, they used Skype during the attack. And so, in real time, they were able to use this technology. The other amazing thing that they did is they actually had a terrorist war room. So, you know, if you watch Mm -hmm. any of these uh, spy movies or on television, you always see like the big war room with the, you know, the military guys or the FBI guys, you know, 10 big blinking screens and all that. The terrorists set that up across the border in Pakistan and they were monitoring in real time Al Jazeera BBC, CNN, INN in India, and they were also live monitoring the internet. So numerous times during the 60-hour siege, the terrorists were accessing uh, satellite communications, satellite imagery, and the like. And I'll just share one example, but there were lots of them. There was a man called K.R. Ramaporty who was staying on the top floor at the Taj Mahal Hotel, a sweet, beautiful hotel, and he heard shooting, right, going on out there. So he was really worried. The terrorists were going room to room trying to find, more people to kill and they shot his door and came in because it was locked then they found him there they beat him they stripped him naked and they said you know who are you and what are you doing here and he said oh i'm nobody i'm just an innocent school teacher please leave me alone well the terrorists were dumb but they weren't that dumb no indian school teacher could afford to stay in a suite at the taj mahal hotel so they saw his id on the bed uh, side table. They saw his name and they phoned it in to their terrorist operations center and they literally Googled the guy. And they saw that he was not uh, a school teacher as they thought. They came across this picture that they found on Google and the conversation between the terrorist war room and the terrorist was, hey, we found a picture. Uh, Your guy, you know, is he heavyset? Yes. Is he bald in front? Yes. Is he wearing glasses? Yes. Okay, we found him online. Oh great, the terrorist said to their war room, you know, what should we do with him? And moments later came the answer, kill him, Hmm. right? So we're talking about sharing on LinkedIn, you have your profile, all this stuff out there. Even back in 2008, right? Five, six years ago, terrorists were able to go out there and use all of this information that we're leaking to see who shall live and who shall die? So they're all over this material. There are other terrorist plots that I'll just mention that were disrupted in Boston back in 2011 using robotic drones, right? So 9-11-1.0 was about human beings flying planes into buildings and crashing them. But 9-11-2.0 will be the robotic version of that. And I discuss a case of a guy called Rezwan Ferdes who is an Al-Qaeda affiliate in Boston, a young student who was at Northeastern University. And he hatched a plot to go ahead and load a remote-controlled jet aircraft that travel at jet speed like 200 kilometers an hour, and they could each carry kilos and kilos of C-4 explosives, and he was going to fly one into the Pentagon and another one into the Capitol building. Wow. So 9-11-2.0, you can disintermediate the human being and use robotics to carry out these attacks.
1: Yeah, oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, um There's a lot more that's discussed in your book, of course, in this area. So that's that. But that's that's just just a a, few examples. It's a great perspective to let people know just the reality of, you know, the the dark side. So let's talk about um, money. So what what are some of the ways that currency like Bitcoin uh, can be used or uh, misused uh, as it relates to future crimes? Because I know that's a whole other area.
0: For sure. So, I mean, we're used to, you know, we used to be on the gold standard, right? Big pieces of mm-hmm. gold. No, that was inconvenient to carry around. Then we switched to paper bills, which in effect was kind of a virtual currency, right? Mm-hmm. Paper is a virtual currency. We believe in it because, you know, we have faith in the government. Uh, but now things are going even more virtual. So we see all these new payment systems, whether it be like Square, where you can, you know, swipe your, your credit card really easily. Uh, World of Warcraft has World of Warcraft gold. So it's like a monetary system you can use in these gaming systems. And of course, Bitcoin, as you mentioned, is really increasing in popularity. And the challenge is is that criminals are all over this. I actually talk about an example in the book, um, the same week that Square launched, mm-hmm. a friend of mine was in San Francisco in Dolores Park and saw a drug dealer, a guy selling crack in the park, and he looked at him and he saw the guy was using a smartphone, and it turns out for all the hipsters in San Francisco who don't carry cash, the drug dealer, the first week that Square came out, we've got a great shot of him accepting credit cards via Square on his smartphone wow. right for drugs. So really early adopters, I mean that's yep. one of the key points is that, you know, credit Criminals are really early adopters of all of this stuff. Um, to Bitcoin, there are kind of two things to be aware of. One is that it is a cryptocurrency. So there's anonymity when you transact, right? It's all recorded in a central ledger, but de-anonymizing it is very difficult. So if I send you 10 Bitcoin, it's very hard for we'll, They'll know that the Bitcoin transaction took place, but who did it and to whom? hard to figure out. So uh, in the organized uh, underground, Bitcoin is the currency of choice. There are a million good reasons to use it. I think you can use it on the Dish Network. You can book your ticket on Virgin Galactic, you know, paying in Bitcoin and all these things out there. There's lots of great reasons to use it. Um, But uh, obviously, for its anonymity purposes, criminals are flocking to it. And so you look at some of the largest criminal websites out there. There was something called the Silk Road. I don't know if you had heard of them. So this is in the hidden, darkest recesses of the internet using what I call what, what's called the TOR network, right? Mm-hmm. So it's you need a special piece of software, everything's encrypted, you get into this network, and it turns out that this hidden dark web, this deep web, most people don't realize it is 500 times larger than the surface web right? So when you are searching Google, you're on Amazon, you're posting pictures on Instagram, that's the nice bits of the internet that everybody sees. But hidden beneath that is a whole other internet, the deep web or the dark web, that is 500 times larger. And that's where people are selling child pornography. You can buy AK-47s, all the drugs that you want. And it turns out that one of this largest criminal underground internet marketplace, what marketplaces was called the Silk Road. Founded, allegedly, by a 28-year-old kid using the name Dread Pirate Roberts. Okay, And basically, it was the eBay for drugs. All right, The site was up and running for about uh, two and a half years. Wow. And in the two and a half years, this guy moved $1.2 billion worth of drugs based upon the transactions all paid for in Bitcoin. Wow! So huge amounts of money can be transacted. And because he used like an eBay system where he took like a, a cut of every transaction, his personal net worth was estimated to be $110 million. So he's like a 28-year-old kid. Did they find him? Uh, they found him and they arrested him and he's on trial. And I tell a story in the book here. He was also accused of hiring hitmen to kill employees that cro- that crossed him and did some really crazy stuff there. And he paid his hitman in Bitcoin, so $80,000, up front, $40,000 after the proof of death was sent. So they had to send a photograph of the dead guy, and people are hiring hitmen in Bitcoin on on these sites. So um, yeah, he made his exit, right? So think about it. He's a 20-year-old entrepreneur, 28-year-old entrepreneur, runs a company for two and a half years, and has a really successful exit, $110 million, completely untaxed. Now, he's kind of facing life in prison, so there's a little downside on this exit strategy of his. It wasn't perfect, right? Um, but you know, that's what you can do, and, and that was all Bitcoin. The other challenge with Bitcoin is that's can, the part
1: I've not gotten to in the book
0: yet. Yeah, that's that's there. The other challenge with Bitcoin is is that it can be robbed, just like traditional money. And the most famous case of a Bitcoin robbery was the Mt. Gox exchange in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. They lost four hundred million dollars. So people, you know, put their money and faith in this system. Four hundred million dollars was stolen the average physical bank robbery in the United States is 4,300 bucks, so if you walk in with a gun at your local Bank of America and carry out a bank robbery, A, you face life imprisonment, and you walk away with 4,300 bucks. These guys doing it the cyber method, walk away with 400 million and you'll never be caught, right, figure out which way to go.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's like a uh, high tech, high tech crime. Yeah. Much, yeah.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: So, uh, what role does uh, anonymity and privacy play in all of this? I mean, how do we maintain it?
0: Right, it's growing increasingly hard. There are so many different things that are narking on you, for lack of a better term. Every time you log into Facebook, every like, all of that is captured, right? You know, terabytes and terabytes of data on each person. When you go to the doctor, when you search, you know, Google, all of that is captured. So it is really hard to do that. There are alternatives out there. For example, there's a search engine called DuckDuckGo does everything that Google does, but it doesn't track you. It doesn't report out to third parties. It doesn't sell you to advertisers. There are other social websites like kind of alternatives to Facebook that you can use that don't monetize you. And there are a bunch of smart steps that you can take yourself in terms of computer settings and what you choose to reveal. But it's growing increasingly difficult, right, because there's just so much data. In our mobile phones, right, there's so much that they can tell about you. They know every location that you go. They can tell all the people that you meet with. So you and I are in this room together, our cell phones are in the room together, the cell phone carrier and the, the phone companies know, oh, Mark and Joe, we're together for an hour meeting, right? They can figure that out. If you uh, have a cell phone on your nightstand six nights a week next to your wife's, they figure out, oh, okay, these people are probably married and they're sleeping together. But if one night a week your cell phone is on the nightstand next to some other woman's, Oh, okay, what does that mean, right? If their cell phone tracks you to your gynecologist, oh, that's an interesting data point. If it tracks you into Target a few weeks later, and now they're looking at your credit card transaction and you're buying like multivitamins or pregnancy tests, you know, now they have a whole other data point about you. So it's pretty hard.
1: Now, so, so try to put this into context for the listeners. Who is they? I mean, who like, because I, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I know the answer to yeah. this, but it's I wanted to get your perspective on I mean, how much of this is truly being looked at either now or all of this data being collected right now that seems harmless now, but 10 years from now, it's going to be like, man, you know, right. we had no idea that they would have been able to look back at our lives that way.
0: Exactly. And that future threat that you just hit on is a great point. So who is the they? The they are what, what's called the big data industry. Um, Al Gore uh, said that kind of surveillance is the business model of the internet. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about how we've built our internet. The internet that we have today is, I don't pay for anything. I don't pay for Facebook. I don't pay for Pinterest. I don't pay for Android. All of that stuff is free. But as I say in the book, free is often the most expensive thing out there, right? Wouldn't you, it turns out that Facebook, to the extent that they monitor or monetize you every year, Facebook makes like a few dollars on every American that has a Facebook account every year. Wouldn't it be awesome if I just gave Facebook five bucks? and then I could have all the same services and not have it sold out to kind of the data industrial complex like, I'd just rather pay for this. No,
1: no, I would, too. Well, and of course, that would, that would ruin their slogan of, uh, you know, free and always will be sort of right, thing. Right,
0: right, exactly. But I'd much rather have the choice. And I'm sure that in the future, alternatives will develop. So the big data industry, their companies like Experian, Axicom, things like that. And the challenge is, is that according to like FTC studies, you know, Federal Trade Commission and others, like up to one-third of all credit reports have errors in them. The good thing about a credit report is like you can get a copy of it. There are laws that give you copies. Copies of your credit report. But with this big data industry, if you happen to like something, or if, like, let's say you like NASCAR and you know, you live in West Virginia, the people that know this, the big data gods, they're making assumptions about you. It's like, you know, uh, white non, upwardly mobile NASCAR lovers. Like, that's actually a category. And they bulk you into these categories. Uh, and so they sell that and they parcel it and people buy data lists. So mm-hmm. I want to market. I'm NASCAR. I want to market to these people. So that's a list that you can buy. To the point that you make, you know, what happens if we had all of this big data in 1950? Right? Where we had very different perspectives on civil rights and racism in this country. Everybody who used a bad word to describe an African American or everybody who said something bad against a gay person, you know, uh, stuff that was totally acceptable 50 years ago but is horrible today. Right. Well, if Facebook existed back then, you could go back and say, you were a racist. Right. Back in 1950. We have proof of it. Mm -hmm. So who knows what that will be in the future right
1: And you know that that could even be said today with like you even take uh, madonna's nude pictures from years right, ago, right right and then how big of a deal that was when they right. the photographs got sold to penthouse or whatever yes. it was and that was before the internet right. and then all of a sudden everything is everywhere now i mean Absolutely. if you were to go those people they would have never realized you know 30 years ago they were doing something harmless and conversations i mean with how much we can identify pictures today 100%. you know they're gonna pick up everything from your everything. voice to mannerisms to everything and it's right. gonna be searchable and it's gonna come up instantaneously something that you did 20 right. years ago
0: in some of the security systems you know they have these CCTV camera networks that are all over London has a ton of them they have them in lower Manhattan they're all over China Cisco just closed a deal for 500,000 camera surveillance network in one city called Chongqing so all of this is ubiquitous and now you can actually go in and search in London and say, woman, red hat. And it will pull up every street in London where a woman is walking with a red hat right now. So yeah, that's the level of artificial intelligence mined with the um, the cameras.
1: Right. So the point is, uh, privacy, we've never really much had it. If you were a marketer, you would already know that. Right. Uh, but it's just getting increasingly...
0: Yeah. You know. but it's a challenge, but there are steps that you can take, and it's what you choose to share, your settings, and where you partake in that. And I'm happy to talk about some. Yeah, and like I said, to
1: we, we will get some solutions, and of course, yes. you're going to want to see if, if by now someone doesn't want to buy your book, then they're, I don't, I don't even know what to tell them. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> what are we going to say, right? Okay, so as uh, cybercrime and future crimes relate to communications like email, texting, cell phones, and so on, what should people... Uh, be aware of that we've not obviously already discussed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered this quite a bit. The one thing I would just say is that the cell phone that you have in your pocket or in your purse is the snitch of your mm-hmm. life. It's the most intimate device that you have with you. Turns out, I forget the exact statistics there in the book, but something like um, 80% of Americans are always within three feet of their smartphone, right? right? Most Americans within 10 minutes of waking up are checking their smartphone, mm-hmm. take it with you everywhere. That records way more data than your laptop or desktop computer, so just be aware of that. And we'll talk about some of the things that you can do to protect yourself on the mobile phone too. Yeah,
1: just get rid of a mobile phone and try to be one of those people. (laughs) Again, you talk about the impractical nature. A lot of people that i i just don't know many people that are off the grid right that are able to function yes with so many of the ways that we can function not that i'm not saying you can't function as, right. as living and surviving yep. i'm talking about interacting
0: and for and, sure you know, and i will so. give people tips to do that
1: okay so uh one thing that's uh, obviously coming i've been to google uh, ha- as have you uh and i've you know I've. Seen the the self driving car, the Google car. Um,
0: what what could possibly go wrong?
1: Yeah, yeah. So someone hacks the car and drives right. it off a bridge, or uh, you know that sort of crazy right. stuff. So. Um, that's coming.
0: Yes, um, for sure.
1: What are some of the things that you envision or think that people need to be aware of? Preventive measures. I mean, what's the pros and cons of all this?
0: Stuff? Right. So again, I'm broadly pro technology. It'll be awesome. Uh, Brad Templeton, who teaches at Singularity University, works with that Google self-driving car project, and, and gives he's a great, smart dude. Too. He's a smart guy, and he. Um, uh, puts out you know, statistics of like 60 or 100,000 people are killed annually, I forget the exact number, uh, or because of car accidents and because it turns out human beings are actually really crappy drivers. And so if you automate the network, not only do you get massive efficiencies in how traffic moves, but all of these um, you know parking structures that take up to like one-third to 40% of the inner city core could be done away with, you know, turned into parklands, lots of great stuff. Can, can
1: I say something to that too? Yeah. To, to be rudely and interrupt you right yeah. in the middle of this, if you get into this. Which I, I love the aspect. I think it's going to be safer. Yep. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's incredibly effective and efficient, and in all kinds of different ways. And uh, I don't know if it's been one hundred percent proven, but it's been estimated. I don't know if it was Brad talking about it or you or somewhere at Singularity that sixty percent of Los Angeles County yeah, supposedly exactly. is, is is literally the real estate is devoted to cars, garages, parking structures, roads. 60% of that right. area. Right. So you you create a, a new way to um, reinvent that whole right. industry. Where the
0: cars can self-organize and self-park themselves, right? Yeah. You know, if you had one car in the middle of 500 cars, a human being could never get out. The valet at the restaurant is not going to do that. But the cars can self-organize and split themselves so that your car can come out when you need it. So all this amazing stuff becomes possible. The challenge is, to talk about some of the downsides, Is cars today are really nothing more than computers we ride in right mm-hmm. we haven't had like mechanical cars since the 70s and certainly by the 90s uh, and certainly by 2000 you know early 2000s every car that rolled off the assembly line had about a hundred to two hundred computer chips in it. These computer chips, right, you know, it's the old fly by wire thing that they use with airplanes. These computer chips control everything from the radio to the airbag to the ABS braking system to when your horn goes off your windshield wipers. Everything is encoded in a computer. And it turns out that it can all be hacked and we've seen some really amazing examples of this so your car can literally get a virus and um, there are some real interesting ways that cars can be turned off remotely there was a place in texas called the texas auto center and they sold cars to kind of uh, folks with really bad credit. And uh, one of the big challenges for them is people would get behind on their payments. They'd have to send out tow trucks to go and find these people. Uh, the repo man that would get in fights. We had repo men that were killed as a result, stabbed, shot, whatever. And so they were looking for a better model. They actually came up with this black box that they could put in the cars of their you know uh, low-income folks that were buying the cars with poor credit. And if they failed to make their payment, they could just kill it. so they could turn off the car remotely well that sounded like a great plan until uh two years ago when all of a sudden cars all over the city of austin texas started shutting off for reasons that people didn't know and then their horns started beeping and then their their headlights started flashing what the hell was going on it turns out they took the one smart kid who understood technology at the auto dealer some 20 year old kid and put him in charge of these back doors that were in the car he got fired After he got fired, he exacted his revenge and he remotely bricked all of these cars. So some crazy hacker was able to turn off all these cars remotely. That was a few years ago. There was just a story in the New York Times about two months ago Mm -hmm. that said there are now two million cars in the United States that have this same technology in it and it told the story of a woman who went out with her four kids into upstate New York on a picnic uh, and she was in an area with no cell phone coverage they bricked her car when she was up there with her family she was out in the middle of a forest she couldn't you know she had young kids she got stuck they got stuck out there for a few days before somebody started getting mm-hmm. looking for them so the crazy thing is a hacker can literally drive behind you a couple hundred feet and deploy your airbag or kill your brakes. So that stuff is literally possible. So we need to be much more Careful about this, and of course, when all the cars are on the network and self-driving, it becomes a critical infrastructure attack because you can turn off hundreds, if not thousands, of cars.
1: God, what? You know I mean, I could even, I could even envision the criminal minds here saying, "Oh, let's, uh, let's figure out how to uh, make all of these cars dangerous, so people will be forced to drive, to have self-driving cars." I mean, it right. you wouldn't even
0: want to be in a car right. anymore. Right. Right. Like- exactly. Well, the FBI, to your point about the self-driving car, so when Google came out with its self-driving car, the FBI actually issued a bulletin that said that they were concerned about terrorists. Using using these self-driving cars as what they call VBIEDs, Vehicle-Based uh, Implemented ex- Explosive Device, right? right? So um, that they could go ahead and create a bomb, put a bunch of explosives in a car, punch in the GPS navigation, and just have it drive off into the sunset. So you know, again, you don't need the suicide bomber, and the FBI actually put out a law enforcement bulletin on that.
1: Wow, wow, wow. So again, uh, upside and downside to everything. Yes. So uh, this question is, um, what are the consequences of uh, cybercrime being not necessarily a a person-to-person crime but um exponential crime that can be multiplied to millions of right. people similar to what you talked about for example you know stealing someone's wallet versus stealing millions of people's right. wallets right. uh online so
0: sure so it's funny all the great business books that i know that you read everything from free to the long tail mm-hmm. criminals study this stuff and they know so the old model was we're going to steal the Pink Panther diamond. We're going to, you know, take 2 years and study this really big uh target and we'll create this massive heist and we'll steal the big diamond. Now they don't have to do that anymore. If they just take a penny or a dollar from a million people, they're doing okay. And so it can all be scripted. So we talked about this really the big change is is that crime increasingly is not being committed by human beings. It's being written and carried out by human beings, but it's a computer program that runs in the background and can carry out crime 24 hours a day.
1: There's so much more I could talk to you about, and we, we may actually do a, a segment, two of this, but uh, what areas of cybercrime technology, future crimes, and so on uh, haven't I asked you about, or is there anything that, um, you know, what would be the question that I should have asked if you would have you right. know, been, been sitting in my, my space?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. I would say broadly, you know, the book is called Future Crimes, and I talk about crime, but the one thing that maybe I should explain that that we didn't get into is that Crime is the structure that I use to talk about technology, right? It's the scaffolding that I hook all the stories to. But ultimately, as cool and as interesting as these sort of scary, crazy uh, crime stories may be, this book is fundamentally about the world that we're building, Mm -hmm. right? You know, technology, as we keep on saying, it is awesome and it will do amazing things. But as we keep on plugging more and more stuff into the internet, the problem is, is that the internet and the underlying software and protocols are completely insecure. So what does it mean to be plugging in airplanes and cars and pacemakers and roadways into a system that we already know can be hacked? So really, the bigger picture is, is to put in the mind of people, the society that we're building for our children, our grandchildren, and those next generations. There's a battle going on for the soul of technology, Mm -hmm. right? Really for the soul of what these tools are going to mean for humanity. On the one side, you have amazing technologists and you've got tremendous philanthropists that I I discuss in the book, NGOs and the like that are creating amazing technologies that will bring clean water, abundant energy, extended healthcare, really reduce, you know, um, the infant mortality rates and like, and that is all awesome. But at the same time, you have this whole other group of folks, whether they be rogue governments, corporations, criminals, terrorists, that understand the technology, and they're trying to use it against you Mm -hmm. to their own advantages, to, to your detriment, right? So there's this battle afoot between good and evil via our technology. And there's a battle that I think we have to win. The good people have to get organized in the same way that the bad guys are. Mm -hmm. This amazing future that is out there as a possibility, it's not gonna come free, right? Right. It's gonna take work. And I know it's like, oh, work, it sounds horrible, but it's not that hard, right? I mean, we've done amazing things in the past as a Mm -hmm. species, right? We put a man on the moon, right? Like we did that, human species did that, and, and now we're we're moving towards Mars and you know space travel and all that stuff. So we've had Manhattan projects in the past. So when we've had really serious problems, we've come together and solved them. And I guess I really want to highlight to folks that this is a serious, serious problem, one that we've been ignoring because all of the incentives are completely misaligned. Right. We need to get focused on it. We need to use crowdsourcing for the better good. Getting you know we already have a military reserve. We've got police reserve. We've got Boy Scouts. We have civil defense. We have all these systems, but none of them have been ported over into cyberspace. Let's get the good people involved and make sure that our technologies, the tools with which we're building our common future, in order to the greatest benefit to the greatest number of people. And that's really what the heart of the book is about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about a couple of... Uh, solutions and things, and then I'm going to do a, a, another segment with you okay. about just specifically the the, the some of the step by step content of stuff. But I want I, I want to uh, have you give people recommendations, tell them where they can get the book. Uh, where they can get more stuff, watch your TED Talk, anything else that you recommend will help our listeners or the people that are watching this video, wherever they found it. Right. Um, to, 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 to feel not only more secure of what they're doing, but to be able to live, uh, in this truly abundant, you know, amazing, Absolutely. you know, world that we have.
0: Okay, so off the top, I'll just take a moment to thank you, Joe, for having me here and for this great conversation awesome. and, and our friendship. I appreciate that. Um, the last two chapters of this book go into some of those solutions broadly, what we can do, you know, kind of on the nation state level, what companies can do and the like, individual steps that companies can take. So there's a lot of great stuff in there. and We can talk about that. Um, But just on a real practical front, I wanted people to know that there are steps that they can take to help them with this. Um, I've created something I call the update method and UPDATE. Each word stands for something and I will explain it. But using the update protocol, Mm -hmm. it's been proven through a study by the Australian government that you could actually avoid 85% percent of the threats out there in cyberspace today, which is awesome. They're really basic, simple steps. And if you think about, it, like, if you did certain things, you could cut your cancer rate by 85%, right. we would all do it. So these are really simple steps that you can take. They're not really difficult to cut and reduce your risk online from identity theft, hacking, and the like by 85%. So update. The first U is for update. You need to keep your software up to date, that's your operating system, your computer programs, and your phone. And most of those uh, you know software tools have automatic updates in there you should just always keep your stuff up to date and if you do that it'll be hugely helpful because when Apple issues an update or Android issues an update that means that there's been a massive security flaw in there that is still open and if you don't update the criminals monitor very closely what those guys are doing and so as soon as they figure out what this vulnerability is they're going in for it so the sooner you update the more you will decrease your risk the second uh up p is for password okay Passwords are a pain in the butt. Nobody likes them, you know, uppercase, lowercase, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, write a hieroglyphic, what was the name of your, your third grade teacher, all that stuff is really annoying. But the fact of the matter is the longer your password, and if you do play all those games of uppercase, lowercase, more than 20 characters, right, I'm talking 20, 25 characters, you actually make your password nearly impossible to hack through what's called a brute force attack, trying one thing after another. Okay. The other thing, twenty characters, twenty characters or more. But Mm -hmm. there's good news. I can tell you how to do this. The other big mistake that people make with their passwords is they use the same password for Facebook and Gmail and Bank of America and you know Wells Fargo and all of that stuff. Do not use the same password for any of those. Let's go back to the Target hack if you use the same password and email address for your target account that you do for Bank of America or Citibank once Target gets hacked the first thing that criminals do is they take those and they'll take all those stolen names logons and passwords and they'll try them at every possible bank just to see if they can get in so I strongly recommend that you not do single sign on or have the same accounts for everywhere how do you do this? There's something called a password wallet, okay? Mm -hmm. It's a specific software program that you can use that will manage and hold all of your passwords through encryption. And there's a few of them that I recommend. One is called uh, 1Password, the number one Mm -hmm. and password. The other one is called um, Dashlane. Which is also very good. There's one called KeyPass and another one called LastPass. Now, normally I don't recommend you know specific companies, but I wanted to mention those because as it turns out, organized crime have created their own password wallets with really good sounding names, put them into the Android store, and you're downloading it thinking it's a password wallet, wow. and all of your passwords are going in the background to organized crime. So that's why I recommend those four, so people will know where to go. Is
1: Android more vulnerable than than like Apple?
0: Uh, I'm afraid to say yeah. vast more vulnerable. It turns out, numerous studies have shown this, 99% of all the mobile phone attacks occur against the Android network. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Android is fundamentally less secure. It's a difference in how they're updated. If you think about it, Apple controls the hardware and the software. When they push out an update, something like 80% of the people, remembering the U from update, 80% of the people will update within the first month. In the Android world, I forget the exact number, it's in the book, I think only 6% of Android users are using the latest version of the software. So all those vulnerabilities are out there and it's not economically feasible for Android to go ahead and fix all this because Android is a free operating system. They give it away to Samsung, they give it away to HTC and Motorola and it's up to those companies to customize your mobile phone with the Android system. but they don't really want you to hold on to your old phone forever because they make money when you buy a new handset so they're not incentivized this is what i was talking about earlier poor incentives they're not incentivized to have you have the latest and greatest stuff without opening up your wallet and buying more money so that's the challenge in the android ecosystem gotcha. other thing with password, so have a password wallet and make sure that it's one of the recommended ones also there's something called two-factor authentication which can be hugely helpful now for those of those who don't know today we currently authenticate uh, you know in other words log on with one piece of information our email address and our password but there's something called two-factor authentication where I can get a little program that every time I want to log on to Gmail Gmail will send me a text message with a one-time six or 10-digit password so this way even if your account is compromised at Target and somebody has it they won't be able to log on with this second authentication factor and it's absolutely free so for Facebook Google Twitter Amazon WordPress all of these sites offer absolutely free two-factor authentication and this way even if your stuff is compromised the bad guys won't be able to get on unless they have that SMS message which will be on your phone so definitely recommend that UPD update d is for download okay a lot of people get in trouble because they download software from a friend who gives them a cd to copy or they go into the torrents the peer-to-peer networks to download free movies free software free whatever it may be many many if not most of those programs are riddled with viruses, right? Why would organized crime put out the free movies? Because they want you to download them and infect your machine. Hmm. So only download your software from authorized sites, right? So from the official Apple Store or from the official Microsoft Store.
1: So for all the criminals out there that are already stealing uh, materials and stuff, uh, like you know, I have a, a lawyer on yes. retainer that, that just goes after different you know, torrent sites and different mm-hmm. things that are always uploading my materials yep. and trying to give away. I mean, they do it to everyone. Yes. And uh, so, the, but the point is, it, you're not, you, a lot of times, uh, you go there, there are other statement. risks it's, as well. You know, sometimes free is the most expensive. Absolutely. You know, I've always said in the, in the marketing world, in the advice world, is the most expensive information in the world is bad information. Right. Sometimes the most expensive, uh, you know, movie or whatever you're going to get on your computer is computer, the, free one. the free
0: one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's download. Um, the next one is A. So UPDA. Mm-hmm. A is for administrator. So if you're on a Mac or if you're on a PC, you'll notice that you can have different Folks with accounts on your computer. You can have one, your wife can have one, your kids can have one. And each one of those counts has what are called privileges. That is a series of things that they can do. So the broadest and highest level of privilege is called the administrator account or root access. These are people who can install new software, put in new printers, delete programs. They can do anything they want. Then they have general, what are called user accounts, and they even have accounts for kids. 99% of the people who are using a PC or a Mac are running their computer as administrator. There's one account, right? You'll have the Joe Polish account on your computer. And you and if there's just one account, it has to have administrator privileges. One of the biggest things you can do to protect yourself is never, ever, ever run your account in administrator mode. Your computer needs to have an administrator account, but that should not be the account that you use to log on, to check your email, to surf the web. Why? Because if you're logged in as an administrator and you download a movie that has a virus on it, in order for that virus to change your computer operating system, it needs administrative access, okay? If you're already logged in as as administrator and get a virus, now the virus can execute just like that and there is nothing to stop it. If you're logged in as a user and you download a virus, the virus has to say, I need permission to run. Mm. The fact that you're seeing your virus saying, I need access to all of this stuff, you'll say, wait a minute, I don't know what this program is, Mm. right? And it's a clue that there's a problem. If you say, no, I don't grant access to this virus to run or this trojan," you've now stopped the problem. So never log in in administrator mode unless you need to specifically administer your box for a specific purpose. Do all of your computing from a user account without administrative privileges. It'll make a huge difference. Yeah. U-P-D-A-T, the next T on the update protocol is for turn off. It's really simple, but it makes a big difference. We keep on our our computers 24 hours a day, right? What does that mean? That means that they are connected to the internet and hackers can access them from anywhere on the planet 24 hours a day. But we don't stay up 24 hours a day, right? We go to sleep. If you just turned off your computer for the eight hours that you sleep, you would cut your risks by 33%. Mm. Right, just by having the computer off. So turn off your computers when you're not using it. Not only is it good for your energy bills, but it's also good for security. And there's one other thing you should definitely be turning off. If you look at your average smartphone, it will have a Bluetooth um, channel, it will have Wi-Fi, it will have near-field communication, it may have a hotspot, there are all these ports on our phones that most people keep open all the time. If you're sitting in an airport with your Bluetooth port open, you are a sitting duck. I can you know, launch a virus, a Bluetooth Trojan, what's called Bluetooth snarfing, and get into your phone, right? If you're on a public Wi-Fi network, then I can go ahead and get into uh, that information. So if you're not using Bluetooth, keep it off. If you're not using Wi-Fi, keep it off, right? Turn off the services that you're not using. This also will help, we were talking before you asked me for tips on privacy, mm-hmm. stores like uh, Nordstroms and Nordstroms Rack, the you know the, the Nordstroms company, right. they had a little teeny itty bitty little sign in there that said. Attention Nordstrom shoppers, Uh, we've implemented a new way of tracking customers in our store. And so you will be monitored with your smartphone in Nordstrom's. So Nordstrom's wants to know how much time are you spending in the ladies underwear department or in the cooking or sheets department. They track all of that stuff and they do it based upon your Wi-Fi. Okay, your Wi-Fi has a unique identifier called a MAC address. Mm -hmm. And so Nordstrom knows exactly who you are. Right? So that data can come back to bite you again in a divorce investigation. Somehow that could come up. So just turn off your Wi-Fi port and you'll be safe. By the way, Nordstrom gave you two choices as you walked in their store. So we all know about shrink wrap, right? If you open up this software, you agree to our terms of service. Click here, you agree to our terms of service. Nordstrom did that in the physical world. By entering our store, you consent to being monitored. If you do not wish to be monitored, do not enter our store or turn off your phone. Hmm. Customers really got pissed off about that and they ended up changing the policy, but you'll see more and more of this. So if you just turn off your ports, not only will you be protected from viruses, but you'll also be protected from a privacy perspective. And the very last thing to mention is E for encryption. So U-P-D-A-T-E. E is for encryption. Your data should be encrypted. What does that mean? Encryption means that you use big mathematical algorithms to scramble your data so that it cannot be read unless you have the secret key to decrypt and read that data, okay? There are two different things that you can encrypt. You can encrypt data at rest, that is the data on your smartphone or the data on the hard drive or your computer, or data as it's in transit. That means as it leaves your computer and goes through the wifi network or through the ethernet network, okay? Good news is that both Apple and Windows have built-in programs for absolutely free that will encrypt your hard drive. The benefit of having your hard drive encrypted is that if your computer is stolen, people cannot read your data. They can't read your financial records, they can't read your customer accounts, right? Those uh, naked selfies that you know the Hollywood <laughs> actresses take, right. all that stuff will be protected. Okay. And on the Windows front, it's called BitLocker. Just look for a program called BitLocker in Windows. You can run that, it will encrypt your drive. And the Mac environment. It's called File Vault, and you can turn that on and it will protect your data at rest. Also, with the latest iPhones and the soon to be coming out Android devices, if you go ahead and set a password on your phone, not only does it mean that the bad guys can't break into your phone because you've got a password or it makes it harder, but it automatically encrypts all of the data on your phone. So if it's lost or stolen, bad guys can't get to it. And the encryption is so good, the FBI was actually complaining to uh, Tim uh, was the founder of Apple, or sorry, the guy who's running Apple now, Tim Cook. Oh, Tim Cook, yeah. Yeah, so the FBI was actually complaining to Tim Cook, saying that encryption is too good, the FBI can't break it. So just merely setting a password on your iPhone will really encrypt it very, very well. That's data at rest. Data at transit, this means the data leaving your computer. There's something called a VPN, a virtual private network okay if you're sitting at Starbucks if you're sitting at an airport if you're sitting at a university at a big conference and everybody at the hotel is using the same wi-fi network My computer is connected to your computer. I can go in there and I can see what you're doing on Facebook. I can go ahead and read all the songs and see the songs that you have on iTunes. I can actually play songs on your computer on your iTunes account. So a a virtual private network, they're really cheap. You can go out there, it's like, you know, maybe 50 bucks a year. And what that does is encrypt all of the data leaving your computer so that when you're in an airport or you're in one of those places, by the way, airports is where bad guys hang out the most, right? Mm -hmm. and they've actually put out fake Wi-Fi spots. So you'll see at the airport, they'll say, airport Wi-Fi, free airport Wi-Fi, Make sure that you're actually using the Wi-Fi for JFK or SFO San Francisco Airport. Because what bad guys do is they'll just sit there, put up their own Wi-Fi, and capture all the data that comes across it. So if you connect to the right network and you use a VPN, you'll be protected. So that is the update protocol. I talk about it in the book. And just by taking those simple steps, you can remove 85% of the risk.
1: That was awesome. I mean, uh lots of incredibly useful valuable advice and th- there's there's a danger in in what mark has said was well, a lot of dangers in some of <laughs> the things he said but a danger in just how valuable even the update messaging that you just delivered was where people are like oh i'm going to do all of that stuff uh, get mark's book read his book uh, clearly because the book has not even come out yet i have not had an opportunity to thoroughly go through your book the the beauty is i know your material pretty well but just a smidgen of everything that you've put in and you've spent the last year writing and putting together this book and plus you've got how many years of experience you've been doing this 20 years 20 years so i mean you're talking about the best most recent most updated version of the future and where it's going to go and if you read Mark's book and you go in his materials, if you watch his TED Talk, if you go to his website, I mean, if you just stay up to speed with what Mark is doing, and this is just a starting point, he is the cutting edge guy, uh, the top people in the world in technology when it comes to cybercrime. And future crimes this is the guy that they go to i mean you're the man so it's it's been a real pleasure just to do this interview with you and i i always learn so much when i talk with you not just about how to protect myself but just it really helps me think about you know the opportunities for the future because if you're an entrepreneur listening to this uh, this will give you some insight on how to better set things up to protect your clients and there's going to be so much opportunity for new businesses as a result of the dark side here. Absolutely. Uh, and, and how you can add uh, tremendous value to people's lives. And so the danger I was referring to is a lot of times if you just do such a great job of teaching people and you're such a good teacher, people are like, oh, I don't think I need that. But yeah, you you absolutely need to get Mark's book. So uh, where do they get your book and anything else that you recommend that people should watch, read that you're doing or anything else that you recommend that people look at?
0: Awesome, well, people can find me personally at markgoodman.net, so M-A-R-C-G-O-O-D-M-A-N.net. And mm-hmm. uh, we're transitioning that. Com in the near future, but there's also futurecrimes.com. There you'll find links to Amazon and independent booksellers, iBooks, Barnes and Noble, all of the major players. There, so you can definitely get it. It is available for pre-order. It'd be awesome if people got it this way; they could get it, uh, you know, fresh the first day that it comes out. Uh, and,
1: and they should get it for other people too. I mean, you've got to, if you, if you work for a company, get it for your employer. If you work for any sort of organizations, I mean, children, I mean,
0: weddings, I, I, bar mitzvahs, it's good for <laughs> anything that you could possibly imagine. Um, bachelor parties, bachelor about, yeah. parties, bachelorette <laughs> parties. Yeah. Um, well, you do talk about business, which is actually a really great point, and I do have tips in there, particularly for startups. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're cre- if you're a young entrepreneur or even a more senior entrepreneur, you're running so fast, trying to keep your business up and running. But what you don't realize is most businesses say it's all about the intellectual property. It's the documents that you have on your computer. It's your customer list. Mm-hmm. It's your financial transactions. All of that is hackable. And there's a statistic. I have a whole section on in the book for small business. And there's some statistic that something like 65% of small businesses that are hacked are out of business within a year. Wow. So you really need to consider this stuff.
1: Yeah, it, it, there, there's a at the last Genius Network meeting that I had here in in my office in the same room where we're doing this interview, there was one of the top uh, heart doctors uh, that that spoke, uh, and he was given a 10 minute talk about things you can do to protect your heart. And he he's, he had this one portion of his talk where he said, it's. What you eat. I mean, you want to eat healthy, nutritious foods. Right. I know all the arguments. People like, I don't like the taste of right. uh, vegetables, right. and I like, you know, the, the, these sort of foods. He goes, well, you know, if, if you don't like the taste of vegetables, I wonder if you're going to like the taste of cancer. If I wonder if you're going to <laughs> like the taste of chemotherapy. Right. You know, do you want? Right. Do you like the taste of diabetes? And, right. and it was, it was an interesting analogy when he said it. But when you went through your whole update thing, all of these things that are quote unquote protective measures. You know, like we were talking about last night. Being in the marketing business, it's a lot easier to sell cure than it is to sell prevention. You know, someone looks for a security system, not before they get robbed, but after they get robbed. And to the best of our abilities to, for for mine, to persuade everyone listening to this, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this stuff will happen to you or someone that you know. And so by having a book like this, it will be the cheapest insurance and best knowledge and protective measurements you could ever take not only for yourself but for your family because not only if you don't understand this can you be very vulnerable in ways that are very simple to protect yourself from and most of them uh, but also, it could save your life. It could save your finances. It could save your business, like what you said. So this this is a really important subject. So I hope we not only uh, scared the crap out of people <laughs> to, so that they actually really pay attention to stuff that a lot of people ignore, but I really hope we provided a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, knowledge that you didn't have. And if you think about. A lot of the stuff, you know, 90 minutes ago, if you've gone through this whole thing, because I may turn this into a two-part episode. We'll have to okay. determine that. Uh, but this is, you know, this is good stuff. So futurecrimes.com, Mark Goodman, he's the man, and this is awesome. So thank you All right, you Joe, so much. thank you so appreciate much. It. I
0: really appreciate it.